What do you do when you're facing challenges to remember that God is all there is? How do you apply spiritual principle in the real world? What are your daily spiritual practices? These are the kinds of questions we'll talk about in this show. Your hosts, Leslie and Tracy, will share their experiences, but also want to learn from your insights, your questions, and your suggestions. So, don't just listen in. Call us with your comments. Are you ready to say yes to spirit? Yes. Can I stay? Can I stay? Oh, no. We only want people who think they're not ready so we can transform <laughs> them. Oh, is that the idea? We can heal them. <laughs> oh, well, I definitely want to be healed. So I'm definitely staying. I definitely want to be healed. No, it's a good thing that both of us are ready to say yes to spirit because um, that's the name of the show. <laughs> Well, there you go. End period. <laughs> yes. End scene. And we do this show to encourage you on your spiritual path and to ensure that Leslie and I stay on our spiritual path and our commitment to say yes to spirit in our everyday lives every day. It is an interesting. It is a commitment. I like that word, commitment. That sounds easier than accountability or work, which are my two favorite words. But commitment just sounds like a good thing. Good thing really? to have. Commitment. Commitment is the C word that most people just like run away from. <laughs> Not just in marriage or relationships, right. but in life, at work. And it's like something. commitment. I don't want to commit. I just want to like do it when I want to do it. <laughs> that is true. Actually, maybe it's time to do a show about a commitment. commitment. There you go. Very good. <laughs> Because I had a couple of really interesting conversations come up about commitment in the really? past week. Yeah, so let's put that on the list for a show maybe uh, in a few weeks. Um, but today we're going to talk about holy moly. No? Oh, oh I knew you were going to do that. <laughs> I really have been waiting for that for a day. <laughs> So our theme, every week we have a theme on the show. If this is your first time listening to us, we don't just, uh, well, I was going to say we don't just sit and be silly for a whole hour, but sometimes we do. Sometimes we do. Even when we have a theme. But every week we have a theme, and the theme is sometimes a topic that is obviously spiritual or spiritually related, like our theme today, Holy. Right. But often the theme is just simply a word we either pick at random or a word that has come up in a conversation that doesn't seem to be so obviously connected with spirit. However, what we have learned and demonstrated time and time again is that our belief that there is nothing that can be separated from God, there is nothing that is outside the circle of God, and so we could choose to talk about rocks and we would... Find, find a connection, a, a holy ground there. Yes, exactly. So, um, so thanks for joining us today. Our theme is holy, and before we get into that, we always try to make a connection between the previous show and today's show. So last time our theme was perfect attendance. And Leslie <laughs> loves doing Connect the Dots. And so it is up to her 
at least to start to make a connection between dependence and holy. Last week you did a really good job of, you know, finishing it up. And this week I'm trying to think of holy and perfect dependence. Oh. I don't think of holy moly. If I think of holy, it traditionally is some sort of state perfection, but that's not really perfect attendance. Perhaps if I thought a different way, I would think if I had perfect attendance to church that that would make me holy. I don't believe that, but I could see that being a connection. Okay, go ahead, Tracy. Make it make it smart. Do you have a connection? <laughs> Do you have anything? You know, this really Perfect. is your anything? area of anything? anything? I I know that everything is connect, connected. Now, I would I would have immediately if I had thought about it yes. before this minute. Right. Um, I probably would have done what you just did in the second part of that. That in many traditional faiths, in many traditional practices the idea of perfect attendance would be a way of earning a badge to be labeled mm-hmm. holy. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, in the in my belief system and in the way I think about holy, um, that perfect attendance, see, I would kind of reverse that. If I'm living in the wholeness of spirit, ah. uh, that I'm likely to, that's likely to generate in in terms of church, perfect attendance, uh-huh. or because I want to be there right. and I I want to uh, reinforce and honor that connection. So I think it would look the same. The behavior would look the same. Yes. But it would be motivated from the opposite end. Right. Which is really the key, the intention behind the behavior. The behavior right. can look the same, but what is the intention? And only we know our intention. So. Exactly. And we talk about that all the time with everything else, but I think that's a good case where somebody right. could look like they show up all the time, every event, you know, four days a week. They right. could be showing up. And is are they showing up in order to attain Get holiness? Right. Or are they showing up as a demonstration of the, the oneness they already feel? Right. Ooh, I like it. Gosh, that's two weeks in a row. I really like better what you said than me. I don't like that theme, but, you know, there you go. Okay, well, you can start working on, uh, <laughs> at the end of the show today, you have a whole week to, <laughs> to think, about. think about whatever's uh-huh. coming up next week. Um, so we're going to take a little break, and then we are going to come back and talk about our theme for this week, which is holy. So grab some coffee or some tea. Take a deep breath, a one-minute meditation break, and we will be right back.
back. You are listening to Say Yes to Spirit with Tracy and Leslie. And our theme this week is holy, H-O-L-Y. What does holy mean? Well, you know, when I first thought of the word holy after moly, which I do have to say that's the first thing that came to my mind again, just get your reaction. And then after that, I thought, I thought warmth. I thought, I thought, oh, you know, it's like, oh, holy, holy, holy. It seemed inviting and comforting and welcoming and spacious, the word. And then, just almost immediately, I thought, you know, that's a, that's the word people use as a, I'm not going to say as a, as a weapon, but, you know, a holy war or a holy... You know, they're, they're you know my holy is better than your holy. <laughs> I, I, you know, and it just then it just sort of became. I kind of maybe got the idea that there was an intention behind the word. There was a an original meaning that was meant to be just this warm, nurturing, unconditionally loving space of holiness of of accepting who we truly are in this state of awareness of. We are God expressing. We are holy. We are holy. And that somehow mankind and humankind and ego and all the things we talk about has taken that and turned it into (laughs) something that, you know, is very far removed what the original idea was. I love that. Somehow. Somehow, for some unknown reason. taken it as man so often does and put a whole other meaning on it. An entirely different meaning on it. Well, unlike you, holy, the word itself for me conjures up this sense of wholeness, of yes. of of being completely safe, completely protected, completely guided, mm-hmm. completely loved. Second, that's really, it conjures that up for me, but the very first thing is any time I hear the word holy, I immediately hear the song, the doxology song, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. I like that song. I, lo- I love that song because it I reminds like me song. so much of the ritual yes. of the, of you know, more traditional, every every spiritual path, every, every faith practice has its rituals. But that particular song I've heard in so many different mm. settings. I've heard it in Catholic settings. I've heard it in Methodist and uh, all the Christian settings, Baptist and um, Disciples of Christ, Presbyterian. I mean, I've just heard that one song so much. And it was the song that our, when I was growing up in, in the Baptist church I grew up in, our choir, our adult choir, our primary adult choir used that song as their processional. So oh, they would, nice. Walk in. That would be kind of mm. the con- the congregational song to begin the service. Nice. And the choir processed up into yes. the choir stand. Right. We didn't. They weren't in the choir stand when service started. Right. And um and so it's like oh for fifth, sixteen years, you know, I heard that song. 50-plus weeks out of the year. Yeah. So I didn't even know I really knew the song uh-huh. until, you know, sometime I hadn't heard it in 10 years, and I went to visit a church, and they sang the song, and I didn't need the word. You knew it, yes, yes. 
So, um, so in that sense, it that is like the ritual, but the language, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, right? Growing up, there was a sense of holy, holier than thou, outside of me, right? And that no one, no person could be holy because that was reserved for God right. Almighty. Right. And it also rhymed, which is a nice touch to songs. But, yes, I get the concept. And so it's interesting that that's in my memory bank. The song came up, but even though the, that's what the words meant to me, there was because it was so much a part of this ritual for years, that is what gave me the warm feeling mm-hmm. that, yes, uh, that's what it feels like to be part of family. Yes, that's what it feels like to know mm-hmm. where you are. Right. And now holy is much more an inside-out individual thing in in the way that I think about it. But it generates that same feeling. Right, yeah. Yes. And then it's probably interesting, too, in terms of the feeling is the thing that triggers the truth of who we are and that feeling was triggered by a sentence that doesn't really align necessarily with how I know you believe. There's not a Lord God Almighty outside of you. Right. But because of the ritual, because of the family, because of the um, authenticity of that experience growing up in, in, in little Tracy, connecting with spirit in that space, what are you looking at me that way for? I wish we had a camera. Little Tracy. Little Tracy. <laughs> I mean, you know, don't like... you think that's cute, little Tracy? No. You don't think that's cute? Little, I could just see little Tracy sitting in the church, and you're connecting with spirit. Uh, Have you ever? <laughs> you never think about little Tracy. We need. Oh, there could be a conversation. We could have a conversation about our little child within. On a show, maybe not. She's scaring me now with her look. <laughs> What little child? What little? Oh dear! Oh dear! Am I, am I triggering oh, the psychotherapist? The therapist you? In oh dear! Sweet, I couldn't read it. Sweet little Tracy. Sweet little Tracy. Ooh. That's cute. Okay, so back so to, back to little Tracy at church. Yeah. Um, the authenticity of which you were connecting, even probably not knowing it because you were little, but that feeling, that feeling of holiness within is really what you were connecting to, even though the song itself says something else. Yeah. And I think that's really significant to um, to think about. And Reverend Petra at the Center for Spiritual Living last week, her sermon spoke a little bit about that idea that sometimes we say, thank you, God, in a way that um, traditional Christian thinking might suggest that I'm thanking some God outside of me or... Up in the sky. Up in the sky or pleading with or asking for. But, you know, really, once we kind of embody the truth that we are all God expressing, you know, our language can be, thank you, God, and I know I'm thanking the energy within without the wholeness. So I do think it's an interesting, it's it's such a thing to be aware of of where where the origin of the thing is coming from. And, and I think holy is a good topic around that because, again, it can be completely authentically 
holy within and connecting to that warm, unconditional space, or it can be holier than thou, and I've got the right answer, and you must understand my God, and I must save you from your plight if you don't understand my God. And I think that's, that really, you know, the holy war, that is an amazing example of how people can go so far away from the origin of their faith and create a violent experience and convince ourselves that we're really doing it for a holy purpose. And, I, you know, I can do that in other ways. I haven't gone to war yet externally. Except with yourself. Inside my mind, yes, right. But So we can convince ourselves of all sorts of things. So the Webster, Merriam-Webster oh, yeah. dictionary definition of holy is dedicated or consecrated to God or a religious purpose. Sacred is used as a synonym for mm. holy. Yeah. And then examples are the Holy Bible, the Holy Month of Ramadan. And a holy person would be a person who is devoted to the service of God. Ooh. You know, do you still have any kind of slight cringe, small cringe, little knee-jerk reaction when you put a Bible on the floor? <laughs> Did the Baptist not have that? Did little Tracy not learn that? It, it, the Methodist, I don't know, you weren't never supposed to put a Bible on the floor because it was holy. And so it was always supposed to be up off the floor. Didn't God create the floor? <laughs> I'm not saying it's reasonable. I'm just saying it's ritual. It's a ritual, and it's when you said the Holy Bible, I hadn't even thought about that. But it, you know, we do, we do uh, label certain things holy. That's really interesting. Yeah, I may have heard that about the Bible. I actually the reason I was not saying anything and I was listening to you about putting the Bible on the floor is I never I, I could never imagine doing it, but not because I have a you know, a tape in my head that says do not put the Bible on the floor. I was thinking through my experience, have I ever done that? Right. Um and I just don't think I have, but I don't have a tape in my head that I could like pick take the Bible off the shelf. Oh, it looks like it's not where it belongs, but there it is. Uh, take the Bible off the shelf and, and put it on the floor, and it wouldn't bother you. I wouldn't have a tape about it, yeah. but now maybe I will. See, now I still think day. about. I used to. I remember when I was coming out of. I went through a period of time where, um, when I was kind of shifting my understanding of from God outside of me to a God within, I had to change God's name even. Because any time I said God, it was this image very much outside of me. So I changed God's name to Euphoria. That's a nice name, isn't it? I was trying to think of something that would embody, you know, how I believed. And then Euphoria, within, without. So it was a concept that I could kind of... And um, so it was probably, I don't know, two or three years. So I really was struggling with this idea of embodying God within and trying to let go of those old rituals or those old hang-ups, quote-unquote. So I used to put the Bible on the floor and look at it and go, it's okay, it's okay, lightning's not going to strike you. I mean, I really I had such a strong thing that something bad was going to happen to me if I had the Holy Bible on the floor. 
it's amazing what our brains can. <laughs> now, you know, I mean, little Leslie learned that. I know. Talked to my sister, one of my sisters, today or tomorrow, and asked them that question, and they may say. Oh, yeah, girl, don't you remember? You should not put the Bible on the court, did you? I know you learned that in Sunday school. That's right. And it just never stuck, you know, because I think even as a child, not, you know, two or three or four, but as a relatively young child still in grade school, I believe that my brain would have said, well, that makes no sense because God made the floor. God made the ground. <laughs> Clearly, little Tracy God was way made, ahead. You know, and I would have been like, yeah, whatever. And it would have just gone in one ear and out the other if it was said. And, and you know, keep in mind what I didn't consciously recognize at the time, but by the time I was seven or eight, I had had a near-death experience. Right. Well, I had died. Right. And then revived. And so there was a lot that made me a weird kid. <laughs> yes. I mean, there was a lot that I didn't know I knew. Right. But I do think, you know, if I was hearing that at eight or nine years old, I would have been like, that makes no sense. It's all God. Right. And I wouldn't have had the language to say that, but I would have been like, that's stupid. <laughs> and yes. I just wouldn't have attached to it. Right. And in an interesting way, that was a gift that you got kind of a shock into your system of here's the truth, boom, you got to see it, a flash of it. As you said, very true, you didn't have a language for it, but then you had the knowing. Right. And in, and that is, a, I think, a tremendous gift. And I think many times the, the path I took, and I wonder if I could, want a near-death experience now so that I could, you know, have that experience. No. Maybe should I pray for that? But no. No, uh, no but, you know, the, path, the the slower, more tedious, harder path I had to take was, you know, I had to kind of question all those things that I was being told were holy or think about these concepts that somewhere I had learned, because certainly, you know, we learn everything that is in our minds, in the human mind. So, but then we know these things on a spiritual level, and unless we have some sort of real, up, you know, conscious effort to align the two, we go on automatic pilot on one or the other. Well, yeah, we're always going on the automatic pilot. With, unless we stop and think. And then we create a new automatic pilot. So now your automatic pilot is guided within me, and it's automatic. Oh, I see. So right, you, true that. Until you replace it. But there's a period of time where... It does. It's not automatic. That unconscious or consciously unconscious. Right. And I had I when I was in my late teens and early twenties, I I still had uh, that process of you know questioning. Yeah. And um, and and then exploring because there were a lot of things that were consciously in my mind that were said a lot that I knew I didn't believe in, but I didn't know what I believed in. You didn't and have the other, I see. I didn't, still didn't have the other. I, I just you. knew that that doesn't work for me or the way these people are interacting is not working for me. And they are using the umbrella of God or religion or whatever to justify. And if that works for them, that I think was one of the differences. For me it wasn't. I didn't have to make them bad. 
Or more fun that way, but go ahead. <laughs> it was just, well, you know, that's not working for me. And I am not supposed to be here. I need to be somewhere else. Um, so there has to be someplace else. There have to be other people to um, who have something closer or who are living in a way. Right. I, you know, for a long time I didn't believe that it was possible to be a part of an organized religion and live that way as well. That, you know, part of what went with being a part of an organized group was that people would be hypocritical. That, you know, they couldn't really live what they were preaching. Mm. They couldn't really walk their talk. Mm. And that's a big, big thing for me in every aspect of my life, not just but not just church or religion, but in but especially so there. Since that's where most of us say we get our values and our grounding from. Um and then, you know, it took me a long time, I mean decades, before I realized two things. One, that the process of living it because of humanity, the process of living it also includes moving away from it, coming back to it, moving away from it, coming back to it, as that grows. As it deepens, yes. Right, as it grows, as it deepens, as you gain experience. Mm-hmm. If you can't put your principles and values to, to the test right. in life, I mean, you have to grow them. And, and so putting them to the test means you don't know, but you're, you fail sometimes, you know, that you make mistakes or you don't you miss the mark. Um, and that's what's helping you grow into it. But, I mean, I was probably 40 before I really got that. And, you know, that's an interesting, that is kind of, um, you know, there's a therapeutic idea around that about the peeling of the onion. Yeah. And you get different layers, and you're kind of going through the same experience again, but on a deeper level, and people get real frustrated and think, oh, my goodness, I did this last year, I did this last month, or I did this 10 years ago. And... Um, to be committed to that deepening experience really um, does does become holy in itself. Yes. Wow. The process of it is a sacred path, a sacred experience. Yes. And that is really, well, and that's the difference between the phrase holy, the adjective holy, and the phrase holier than thou. Oh, yes, right. You know, that, that holier, I, you know, my holy is better than your yes, holy. Right. I'm holier than you are, um, and I'm better than you are. I'm, I'm, I'm better at this. I'm better at being connected to spirit than you are. And how stupid is that? <laughs> I mean, there, there is no disconnection. We're all one. Yes, right. Well, there there's no way to be disconnected from spirit in reality. Right. And, you know, if that experience of deepening is holy, I mean, if we honor that as holy and honor ourselves as holy, then, then holy almost becomes an adjective. Does Webster say holy is a... Mm-hmm. It used it as both as a noun and an adjective, oh, and right. holy, like a holy person, right, uh, was um, act 
actually, and always uses it as an adjective, holy really? as dedicated or consecrated to God, or a holy person devoted to the service of God. Let's see what else we've got here. Isn't that funny? I was thinking, I don't know what I was thinking. I should stop speaking because I don't know my English, you know, English noun adjective very well. But I, thinking of holy as an action is, um, I, I guess I was thinking more of holy as a space. You're reading. The, You're reading. Or, the origin, <laughs> the origin of holy is Middle English from the Old English "halig," akin to "hang," which is whole in Old English before the 12th century. Which is whole, so it is based in wholeness. In the wholeness of spirit, but holy, it is holy. It's still an adjective. It's describing. It's a term to describe it. It's a term to describe whatever. It's Synonyms: you. devout, godly, pious, religious, sainted, religious. or saintly. And so I think that's what. Um, I, yeah, that's what gets us into trouble with the word holy because we think of saint as better than someone who's yes. a saint is better than your average person or your typical person and uh, pious, you know, in the traditional historical use, pious, you know, the monks or the, you know, are the ones who are pious. They go live in the monastery. They're pious. They're separated from the day-to-day life that each one, each one of us lives. Has to struggle and to be pious. You can't be. You you're not <laughs> tempted by any of the, you know, daily rat race. You know, around money or sex or violence or any of that. You're pious. You know, it's interesting. There's a um, there's the Al-Anon has a kind of like a AA has a big book. Al-Anon has. Uh, Alan on How It Works book, and there's mm-hmm. a story in there about a nun who lives in a, where, where do nuns live? I was going to say a monastery. Cause in, a nunnery. in a nunnery? Is that what they call it? Sounds like a bakery place. Nunnery? Yeah. The convent. They live in a convent. That's the word. That's the word. I like nunnery, though, better. Convent. They live in a convent. She's living in a convent, and she's actually, um, Sequestered, or the kind of nuns that don't interact or inter, inter work in the world. You know, they don't go out into the world. So she's living this secluded life, and she is struggling within from this alcoholic family that she grew up in. And even though she's completely surrounded in this very holy, you know, very um, sacred space of the convent and all of the people around her are very much working their spiritual program, she's torn up inside. Mm-hmm. And it's really curious to me how, you know, of course, it just is a reminder that the the state of my being is the state of my experience. And I can be in the most holiest of places, but if my inner self is at unrest, I might as well be in a war zone. Yes, I love that, and I think it's, and I agree with it. I think it's so true that our holiness, like our joy, like our peace, really is not 
created externally. Right. Right. It, it really isn't. It no. is all about what I believe about the world, what I believe about myself, what I believe about life that that determines what my experience is. And it, I was, I had a real time experience that with that this week with my, um, I do a mantra with my mala beads. What there are 108 of them. Yes. So 108 times I say the same thing to kind of guide me into a meditative moment. And so this week I started out and decided to say I am one with God. So I started saying I am one with God, and I got through I don't know most of the bead probably, and then I started. Saying I am God, I just shifted to saying I am God, and then the next day I started out with I am God, and then suddenly I just shifted before the end of the bead to I am God expressing, and it's a very common thing. Is in New Thought, which Center for Spiritual Living in Dallas is where I go. You know that's I hear that all the time. That's just a common. That's like saying the sky is blue. I am one with God. I am God. I am God expressing, but. I took that concept and, like, lived it one day. And I was, you know, back and forth emotionally in my mind that day, and I kept coming back to, but I am God expressing. I mean, really? How silly. You know, all of this, <laughs> doesn't it just become silly, you know? And and I really believe that. I am God expressing. So, goodness gracious, Leslie, all these little things that just, can take me off like a bungee jump. You know, I can go off in my mind and just be why I'm screaming as I'm going down. But I am God expressing. There is nothing that you know. There, there's just there's no there's there's nothing past that. And, and I really stopped myself. And I think it, it was it was midweek, and I just all day. And I was like, wow, wow. It was a good day. An interesting day. <laughs> I'm just taking, We've got to have a camera. I'm just taking that all in. Yes, yes. And yes, I think that is a, um, that could be a homework challenge for our listeners this week. If, in fact, that what being holy is about is expressing right. your God nature, allowing God and spirit to express and experience life through you. Through me. And that, that that really is what it means to be holy, to be an expression right. of God. Right. Wouldn't that be fabulous oh. to spend a day yes. just constantly reminding myself that God is experiencing life through me. I am God expressing. And to keep that as your primary lens Right. through which you see everything that's happening and everything you choose to do or right. say. Right. Oh, and to, I mean, oh. that could be really hard to do for 24 hours. It, it, it was. And, you know, the mollabies, I think I talked about this recently, the mollabies are really helpful to me because they're a visual reminder. I constantly see them on my wrist. So I needed something to, you know, keep me coming back to that truth. But it, it, it's really, and, and it just... What is this? This is some sort of spiritual religious thing, you know. It takes the husk away from the corn, isn't that some? <laughs> you know, it just it just 
pairs it down to what is real. I think that might be a southern thing, <laughs> not, <laughs> not a not a not necessarily not a religious, religious thing. thing, but a, a husk away from the corn. Yes, thing. yes. Or maybe an Iowa thing. The Iowa thing. Yeah. Isn't that where corn is grown a lot in this country? So, um, but yes. Yeah, and that's and another way of saying yes to spirit. It's just another way of doing all these things that we talk about. I mean, you know, I do do some work in the Dallas County Women's Jail, and every Wednesday we have a journaling, what we call a journaling opportunity, and we do a different practice for the week, and we journal about it. And you know, one time it'll be do something for someone else and not let them know that you did it, and journal that day about how that felt. You know, think about this week every day, the person that really pissed me off, what in them reminds me of me, and journal about that every day. And I talked about last Wednesday, I said, you know, if you take these little opportunities, and most women are in the county jail at least three months, some there seven, eight, nine months, and you do do it each week, you get like 74, 85, 90, 100 different tools or ideas and some work for you, some really resonate with you and help you get through your day, and others don't. But if we're kind of on the lookout for new things to try, mm-hmm. it, it, it really can shift all of our thinking when we finally find that one thing that aligns us back to kind of connects with the individual God within. Because there is an individuality to my God. A little bit, isn't there, Tracy? <laughs> that, you know, it's one God, but... But what resonates with me within could be a little bit different. Like I might be a journaler or you might be a not a journaler. It's the same God. It just connects in a different way. Well, yes, because God has unlimited creativity and unlimited intelligence. And so each one of us is an individualization there you go. There you go. of spirit. And, um, and so each one of us is an individual as equally as being a part of the whole. Yes, I like that. So absolutely, we each have different likes and preferences and things that resonate with us, and um, and that is the basis of one of my stained glass spirit talks about individualization and unification and how you live both at the same time. You live both at the same time. You live as you. Right, individually. As an individual. And you are a part of the physical whole and the spiritual whole. Ah, that's right. And so there's unity in in us recognizing each and every other person is supposed to be different from me. Each You are an individualization of spirit and you are holy and you are whole. I am an individualization of spirit, and I am whole. And we're not supposed to be alike. Oh, that's interesting, isn't it, to ponder that? That by design we're different, but we make the whole. And so, but we're united because we're all individualizations of spirit. And, gee, the more I get to know about you and accept you and understand where you're coming from, not expecting you to be like me, then I get to see more of God. Yes. Because otherwise all I can see of God is what I know as me. But I have, I'm united to you and you and you and you and you and you. And, wow, I get to see more of God. 
That's interesting. And wouldn't that be an interesting thing to do for 24 hours to everything that we, everyone that we see, I'm seeing more of God. I'm seeing an interesting expression of God. Yes, and not being sarcastic about it. <laughs> oh, did that sound sarcastic? <laughs> so, oh, what the heck was God thinking? Yeah. Not that way? Not that way? No, but how perfect is that? Actually, and I do have a talk about that because, you know, I do a lot around diversity and inclusion, including diversity and inclusion in spiritual communities, and that is so critical. I mean, that's kind of a foundational piece to recognizing, oh, everybody's not really supposed to think like I think? Oh, you mean I really could value that and I'm not giving up anything of who I am? just because I can be interested in and value who you are? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is an interesting, um, when you look at life from a both and instead of an either or or a but. Uh, you, you don't do these little games, do you? I did I did this little game, too. I went through a period of time where I tried not to use the word but. I would go around and, and not allow myself to say, I'm going to do this, but I can't do that. I would say... I'm going to do this, and next time I'll try to be able to do that. Not this time. But I would always, I would try, I'd try to take the word but out of my vocabulary. It was really hard. It is hard. But it was really interesting, and it, and it shifted the whole sentence. And even in texting now, I'll do that every now and again because it's kind of fun because I'll, I'll watch myself now when I say the word but I'm aware of it because of that time that I you know try not to say it. But... It, it shifts how I think when I'm saying it, and I think it shifts how the person receiving the information receives it. Absolutely it does. And it, it is a, a game, a, a structured exercise that I use a lot in training. Oh, look at you. Because in the world of diversity and inclusion, it's not that you make everything okay, but you don't make other people wrong unnecessarily. So, right, right. I mean. So we live in a society where there are certain things that are legal and illegal. So I can say to someone, you are not allowed to do this because it's illegal in our society. Right. I don't really have a personal judgment about that. You are, or If you choose to do this because it's illegal, here are the consequences. Right. I can say that. So, you know, it's not that I accept or allow everything to happen. But in our in my personal judgments about something or someone, you know, I wish you would do it in a different way. Or I, you know, sure, I can set some boundaries, and there are ways to do that. However, it's when we're talking, like you said, and we're like, but uh-huh. I'm not going to do this, or I am going to do this, but, I'm, but I really want to do that. It's like we set ourselves up. Or I agree with you, but. Right, so you so you don't agree with me, right? You know, and we do that in our language so much. So in diversity training and inclusion training, I use that a lot, and it is really challenging yeah. for people to make their point. Yes, and use yes and or we did the activity which you may have done, um, which is you're in a group or a circle, and you make up a story, but it's an improv activity as well. 
and you also do yes and. You just add to the story. Oh, yeah, that's fun. So in improv, yeah. so that you train yourself, it can be fun to add on that you don't have to choose. Between A and B, you can do A and B plus C. Plus C. And it can all be right. So many times when we're writing a story, we have to make the first part of it wrong right. to to justify it. You know, I have to make you wrong. So that I can be right. So I can be holier. Do you notice that I've brought us back to the topic twice today? I never do that. What's that about? I've been off caffeine for almost two weeks. What you see before you is an aberration of something. Wow. Wow. I was unwell. I had a little stomach thing going on for a while and couldn't eat and couldn't drink caffeine. And then I just have stayed off of it. And for the for like three or four days I was nutty. I didn't I couldn't remember I didn't, you know, I couldn't remember things. And then strangely I feel kinda of good. So look <laughs> at me, I so so I'm using that that maybe my mind is clearer. Clearer functioning so that I could bring us back to topic. Wouldn't I, and then I just took us off topic, but now I can bring us back again. <laughs> it is possible. <laughs> holy, holy. So we're, our time is beginning holy. to wind down. We have about 15 minutes, maybe a little less. And as I was scanning the dictionary definition of holy, you know how it also, dictionary definitions also will give you antonyms, opposites? What is an antonym? Oh, opposite. Yay. And they'll also give you, you know, some common uses. And so when I got way down the list, I was really interested in holy being used as an intensive, something to intensify your point. For example, this is a holy mess. (laughs) Or he was a holy terror when he drank. Oh, wow. And I thought, that's interesting. Oh, we haven't even talked about that at all. Or, or wow, what is that about? Because that's not even... Because we know we're not talking about religion, spirituality, faith. or sacred. But I think, you know, he was a holy terror when he drank. If we, if we have been using holy as a better than, as a, you know, holier than thou... Yeah then he was not just a terror, he was a terror to the best degree. (laughs) (laughs) That is so funny. The the highest, most pious terror you could be. It's like, can we do that in the English language? A holy terror or a holy mess? And when I was growing up, yeah, I heard holy mess a lot. And, you know, now that I think about it, now we we use, you know, it's a hot mess. Hot mess, yes. So, I mean, that is, I've heard that a lot in the last three to five years, you know. She, she was just a hot mess, or that situation was a hot mess. Um, and I'm wondering now, having never thought about it till this moment, if that started picking up speed because it felt for some people a little like blasphemy to say a whole yeah. mess. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But a hot mess. Yeah, that is very interesting. Holy terror. Holy, to make it seem, what was the word? More what? Pious? No, no, no. You said it's a, used as a... Saint? A sort of... A sort of the, in the dictionary, it said, uses use the word as an accelerant? Intensive. Intensive. There you go. And isn't that curious that we have words 
to make our words more intensive. I really want to get your attention. So I'm going to make this, you know, more, we can't just say things. That's another topic, though, isn't it? I do have an idea of holy ground, which was the, mm-hmm. the first thought that I had when talking about thinking about holy holy ground. Um, for two and a half years, every morning I went and did meditation at the Center for Spiritual Living and went to the space and did morning meditation. And I can recall when I first started doing it, I did it and I was by myself for a couple of months, and the space itself was palatably holy. I made up a word, didn't I, palatably? But, I mean, I could feel it. It was like I was walking through the air had a had a had a form to it. And over two and a half years it just became my routine. I would go to the center and I would meditate in the morning and that was that. I, I it sort of lost that that specialness that it had that first few weeks, first few months. And now the last month I've stepped away from that. My morning ritual has changed. I'm meditating at home and it is not a holy place. <laughs> My house is not a holy place. I don't have that feeling. I don't have that feeling. So I've had to make a like a little chair on my deck at first until it got too cold. I was like, okay, there's my holy space, you know. And then when it got really cold, just recently I had to make a little space in my bedroom. This is the holy space. And it was interesting to me that I had the feeling, I had the feeling that I had the need to create some holy, you know, sacred area that I couldn't just sit in the middle of the mess, in the hot mess, and meditate, that I wanted this sense of, you know, having a sacred or a holy space. And that probably has a lot to do with not putting the Bible on the floor. I'm thinking <laughs> there might be a connection there. Um, you know, I, I don't but, think uh, any accident. We we do encourage people, and, and, and all, you know, from not just in my current experience, but... We, society, we, from a spiritual perspective, you know, we encourage people to create or find a place, create a physical space. So, um, you know, it it creates the ritual. And at the same time, it's so interesting to consciously see the power of that. And to ask the question, am I putting my power and my connection with spirit outside of me if I'm depending on it must be in this particular chair or it must be in this particular room or building? And um, that's an interesting question because as you were giving that example, I was thinking about, yeah, you know, it is interesting that over the last, Ten years, I can think of, you know, my pattern at one point was to sit in a specific chair in my bedroom and meditate every morning. That was kind of my pattern, my ritual. And I didn't really give power to the chair. Um, Right. But at the same time, I may throw clothes across the bed, across the other chair, but I would never like. Oh, that's cute! Like when I do my laundry and uh-huh. you bring all the clothes from the dryer, and right? you know, I would dump them on the bed. 
Sometimes I would put them on the other chair if I wasn't going to fold them and it was late at night and yeah. I wanted to go to bed. But I would never <laughs> put them on that chair. Holy it chair. was a holy chair, even though I never consciously. Uh-huh. But right. as I was listening to you, I was thinking, huh, and now I don't use that particular chair for meditation. And at this moment, as we're speaking, it has two loads of laundry, <laughs> you know, draped across the arm or in the seat of the chair waiting for me to fold or hang. And, um, yeah, wow. It's interesting, isn't it? And it's very interesting. Again, I mean, the question I'm God expressing, well, goodness, you know, whether I'm in the hot mess part of my house or the, you know, holy six inches that I've you know, <laughs> deemed the holy space. I'm still God I'm expressing. still God expressing. Yeah. So yeah, it hasn't stopped me from meditating. It's mm-hmm. just that right now I'm I'm meditating in different places at different times of the day, and so I don't have a designated a designated space. Do you have a consciousness of I'm going to meditate, so I'm going to go here, or when you think I need to meditate, do you stop wherever you are and just kind of move into that? Yeah. Lately, the last six months or so, it's been a, um, it, yeah, I, I, any place, yeah, any time, or I, you know, stop working, and I can sit, still sit right at my desk, and I'll lower the chair so that my feet are flat to the floor and meditate, or I could be, you know, in the dining room, or I could be in the bedroom. Right. So, it, yeah, in the last six months or so, I I don't have a designated space in my house. Right. But that is a pattern for me that, uh, you know, I may have a dedicated space or place for a while, and then I won't, and then I will, and I don't know. I haven't consciously analyzed to so think back to see if there's a pattern of why I shift. Right. I've not noticed it consciously. I'll just realize, oh, I haven't sat in that chair and meditated for <laughs> weeks. The holy chair has closed it. You know, so I haven't, you know, it used to be the, um, it used to be a different area. It used to be my living room. Mm-hmm. And there I would have, I have a meditation uh, cushion, actually, that's now in my family room. Um, but I'm, you know, sometimes I'll use it and sometimes I don't. But for a while, there was about two years where I used my meditation cushion every day. Yeah. And not so much lately. Yeah, it's probably a both and, both and, holy, both and. Um, I remember, again, in one of Reverend Petra's talks, she talked about, I don't know if it was a rabbi or one of her teachers or more, someone she knew that had a a scarf, or some mm-hmm. sort of, you know, wrap that he would use in his meditations. And when he traveled, he would take that. Yes. And when he would sit in airports, he would pull that out of his carry-on and put that around him, and he could go into that deeper meditative state surrounded by hundreds of people in the airport. So there yes. is it's kind of a both-hand thing. There can be yeah, I think that holy... I, that's when it's ritual, and that's when it's supported, but it's not a prison, right. and it's not a crutch. Or a mystical thing, or a magical thing that I give power to. It just is a helper. Yeah. Would that be a way of putting that? Yes, it doesn't have the power, but it is a part of the experience. Oh, I like that part of the experience. It's a connector. I like yeah. that. 
So would you say holy in and of itself, being conscious of that word is a spiritual practice? As we consider spiritual practices and holy? I don't think I understand the question. <laughs> like if I put my mind on today I'm going to focus on holy or creating a whole a sense of the holy within me, the whole holy. See now I'm using that word W H O L E. But uh that that could become a spiritual practice, the awareness of my holiness. Mm. So I would say for me, and it could that could work. I wouldn't think of it that way. For me, I would think of it as a spiritual practice of recognizing wholeness. Wholeness, yes. And the that I am a part of the wholeness, and the wholeness is all of is a part of all of me. And if I truly am living in that way where I am recognizing and being a part of the wholeness, that then holy would be an adjective that would be could be used to describe me and that it would be obvious to me and anybody else. So I got you. Yeah. So the holy would be the, the outpicturing of the daily be practice. A description of of how I'm showing up in the world. So I really do see it as an adjective, not a noun. I got you. I'm hanging on to the idea that it's a noun. Yeah. So I can't I can't do holy <laughs> but I can behave in a way that is holy, that demonstrates holy. holy. Yeah. Holy. So that holy can be a descriptor of of how I am showing up in the world. And you know, you said something. She, you can people see it in you. Um, in class Wednesday at the jail again, there was this woman who just really has had such a, oh, just a pattern of real violence in her past, and she's never had any kind of treatment or any kind of therapy, and she is for the first time seeing her own value. And I told her Wednesday, I said, "You look different." I see a different person when I see you, and I do. We get energetically, we become different when we become more aligned to the truth of who we are, which would be that Holy Spirit within. It changes our physicality. That's not the right word. It changes how we look physically. Yeah, I think it does, and it changes our energy, and people respond to that in so many ways. So um, that's holy. That's a wrap. Go for forth and holy. be ho- go forth and holy. Express holy. And that's your homework. I am God expressing. I am God expressing. One day in the next week, just choose that. Yeah. I am God expressing and allow that to um, drive who you are, how you talk to other people, how you see the world, and how you see yourself. And, and take we- the husk away from your corn. Stick it with that. I like it. And we'll be back <laughs> next time. Talking about compassion. Compassion. Yes. But until then, say yes. Yes to spirit.
Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.